evening, Aya. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm good, good. Day 60. Day 60. That's what I'm saying. Hey, man. Day 60. Day 60. We continue. We continue, uh, I guess, uh, steeled in our resolve uh, to try and confront this uh, COVID-19 crisis. And uh, let's maybe talk about some good news here. I mean, I certainly haven't heard some good news from Murray and Roberts in a very long time. Uh, And it seems that their order book has had uh, or has given the market a lot to smile about at the start of this new week. Um, so, um, Robert's results um, released some um, trading updates and some results. Um, they note they noted that their order book went up from 50 billion to 51.5 billion. The market seemed to be very happy about that. But I think underlying, besides the order book, I think the market was happy about two things. Number one. Um, they don't seem to be breaching any covenants mm. and they're sitting on a healthy cash balance. Number two, although some of the projects in the order book have been delayed, specifically within the oil and gas sector because of the depressed oil prices, they, they will, they've just been delayed by until markets pick up. But it's because they're sitting in a healthy cash position. Um, the order book is still ticking. There has been some decline in operating margins. But I think... Bear in mind, I think because they've gotten rid of all the assets that were specifically in their construction, which were very capital intensive, that's why I think the market was reacting positively. Of course, as you know, you've got the Germans, the situation forever overhanging, Maria and Robert is. Yes, the Atom story. Yes, the Germans, because the Germans haven't sold anything. So I think, I don't know, we all don't know. just maybe let's take a step back here for some of our listeners who the moment they hear Murray and Roberts might be associating them to a construction business. Let's maybe first unpack the kind of animal that uh, M&R is now and compare that to what it was historically. So historically, um, they were a diversified infrastructure group operating across um, very geared towards construction and engineering and mining. They've now moved to be a more of an engineering and mining specific project, a mining specific projects division, and looking, they've moved away from the heavy capex business. I think remember they used to own Concord, which yes. they sold to um, a consortium led by Fabian Palace, and they've specifically worked towards being going to the more higher um, higher margin business within. Mm-hmm. Specifically, specialist engineering. Remember, they, they wrapped up an acquisition of an entity in North America as well. It's it, it, it specialized mining and um, engineering. Mm-hmm. Mining, as you know, mining, as you know, this is also one of the interesting parts. Even, even it's the mining sector, specifically the work that they do is COVID proof. It's things that they, you'd have to do, even if you're operating anyway. or not. Mm. Anyway, which it's very nice money if you think about it. You you always want to be in a business that's not affected by a global yeah, pandemic. But sectors, yeah, as, as analysts often say, yeah. Yeah, so but also they it balances out with it. But the, like I said, the oil and gas specifically, they haven't said there's been a termination of their contract. It's more been a push out of projects, mm. which you would expect. You would you you would expect in the current um macroeconomic environment that we're operating in. So, yes, mm. they order book is yeah, still ticking. Look, the order book, yes, is up from 50.8 billion rand to about 51.5 billion rand. What I found interesting was, I guess, how optimistic and bullish they are about getting uh, potential contracts uh, worth 721.1 billion rand. They're saying a few tenders that they've bid for are in adjudication now, and they're hoping uh, to get some of these. I mean, that would certainly... 
you know, ramp up their order book uh, uh, massively. I mean, if, if we're thinking from about 51 billion rand right through to uh, just shy of a trillion. Um, so you must never listen to people when they tell you that because the question always becomes... Bye-bye, yeah, yeah. And number one. Number two is how will they get the funding to execute on these projects? Right. Every time someone says, you've got a 721 billion, you still need to execute on that. So and if you look at where their market cap is, it's still at historic lows. It's nowhere near the heydays of um, 2010 euphoria. So um, as much as, you know what, and uh, for me, it's not about the order book. It's, it's about the quality of the order book. I think mm-hmm. we've seen one lesson we've learned specifically in the infrastructure sector is that the profitability of your order yeah. is more important yeah. than the quantum. Sure. And I think that's where we need to lead the conversation to. Let's pause there for a second and uh, take a quick spot break. We continue with our business wrap. If you just joined us, uh, we're taking a look at the big stories in the world of business at the start of this new week and uh, how uh, markets moved uh, on this Monday. And uh, joining me to uh, take a look at some of the big announcements uh, in company news, I'm joined by Snesipo Maninchwa, uh, independent uh, market commentator and analyst and CA. And uh, we uh, took a look at the story of Murray and Roberts, uh, which is, uh, I guess, uh, quite optimistic about uh, how their order book is going to look like on the back of uh, some uh, bids that are in evaluation phase. Let's shift our attention now uh, to uh, the world of fast-moving consumer goods and uh, uh, one of the big, I guess, uh, you know, processing and milling firms in South Africa, uh, giving us grains, groceries, and uh, you know, value-added meat products that certainly got them into some trouble over the last year or so is Tiger Brands. Now, revenue up 2%. Uh, but uh, operating income uh, falling 29%, and uh, I guess there's an issue there about some of the discontinuing operations in Nigeria, uh, one of those being Daily Foods. But uh, that earnings and headline earnings numbers, those numbers uh, registering very, very deep uh, double-digit declines. Mm, yeah, so, um, so <laughs> it's one of those things. So in theory, fast-moving consumer goods, because they're an essential service, specifically Tiger Brands, if you look at their product um product lines. They were sold, all their product lines were available for sale throughout the lockdown period, even during the lockdown, even during the hard lockdown, which was level five. But if you uncover and you and you pierce through um, their business model, you'll notice two very important things. Number one, a lot of, they suffered quite a bit of supply constraints from a global procurement mm. perspective, global procurement perspective. And our Rand dollar exchange did not help that. What's that Aside- means, Nesipo? And I want us to maybe to, to stop that. I don't want us to move so quickly past that because I think there's a big question about what that is going to mean for certainly for investors in Tiger Brands from a, a cost perspective and uh, the ability to pass some of those cost pressures on to consumers. Um, so Tiger Brands, as a brand, specifically the segment that they target, they and evil. They're not price setters. There's pressure from your big retailers to keep um, costs quite contained. However, if you're looking, and when we look at global supply chain, this is one of the, the issues that, and in the logistics, and that's one of the, the fundamental challenges of having a pandemic and a lockdown, ensuing global lockdown, is that the cost of moving a good from A to B has fundamentally increased. Mm-hmm. Even though the price of oil has decreased, price of petrol has decreased. However, the cost, because of the 
lack of demand means that you're actually paying more to move good from A to B. And that's fundamentally what has actually happened in the most simplistic way to explain it is that it, it's the cost of moving the goods, the cost of the raw materials have sure. the underlying building blocks of the product that you mm. see in the supermarket has increased. However, they've been unable to pass on that increase to the consumer. Number two, when the lockdown, during the heavy period of March, during the trading period of March, all retailers and fast-moving consumer goods, it's the saw a pickup in their sales. The question most people, I think we had the discussion a couple of weeks ago, I think during March, was that you were expecting people to have very, very profitable results. And I mentioned that this uplift that you're seeing would is, is, is temporary. It's not real. Because as the lockdown continues, where people having less income, job insecurity, the fact that Tiger brands themselves are looking at cutting jobs. Are, cu- are looking at cutting jobs. Those are some things. Your 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 in your inflation. Your 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 temporary increase in March, all but disappears during April and May. Mm. You add the fact that your costs, your fundamental building blocks, have increased, and you're not seeing the same increase in your consumer moving goods. So one of the things that you know, everyone went to go buy toilet paper. When no, no, don't uh, say everyone. It is some among us went to go and buy toilet Changa, paper. I live in the north. Went to buy toilet I paper. live in the north, so there was no toilet paper. I struggled to find toilet paper. Overly and disproportionately uh, represented there in the north, sure. But not everybody. Yes. Not everyone. Not everyone, true. Not everyone. But on the on on the structure was that you you would assume that they would continue, but those costs, like I said, that that increase was it was it was it was it was short lived. It was yeah. sort of like a spike, but then it disappeared. Sure, so because about, as I mean, I, I'm just conscious of us uh, quickly running out of time, and I want us to to uh, maybe unpack two further issues here. One is that value added meets business. I mean, they, they flag to us that they they are in very advanced stages of conversations with potential suitors and that, you know, they, they might dispose of, of uh, some of the assets there. Those are the, I guess, businesses that make the Poloni, uh, you know, the, the Viennas and everything else uh, that was uh, very topical over the last year or so. Talk to us about that business and also, I guess, the decision there to uh, suspend that interim dividend. Um, interim dividend is to conserve cash, and I think that they're worried about breaching covenants. Number one. Number two, the, the, the reason for the possibility of the sale is literally quite simple. Uh, Listeroy, lawsuits are coming. Mm. And you're wanting to pass on the buck. You're wanting to pass on the buck as quick as possible. And um, selling an asset. Okay, this is a corporate strategy. I'm not going to be quoted on this, but... You are on selling, air, so it's on the record, yes. So it's on the record. Mm. If... I was strategizing. I'm not saying this is what they're going to do. I would sell the asset as to prolong the litigation for as long as possible. That is how I look at it as a strategy. Hmm. Because it, it, it gets to... It's it, 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 it's what corporates do every time you have a litigation, specifically when there's corporate well-doing. If you look at this, um, the case, the, the Silas case between the mines, that took how many decades to conclude because you, you, what you do is that you delay, you delay, you delay, you delay, you delay. It's, it's, it's a strategy. It's, yeah. it's evil. It's evil, I know. But it's a strategy and it's one that's quite effective, especially when the entity themselves have not admitted to any wrongdoing yeah. and there's been a change of God as well. These are all 
strategies to delay a case. And I guess there's support just with, you know, COVID-19. I mean, the, the fact that the listeriosis case, uh, you know, wasn't even 10 years ago. I mean, just pales in, in, in comparison now. I think everybody's so focused on uh, COVID-19 that we forget how recent uh, this uh, listeriosis uh, challenge has been uh, and uh, uh, Tiger Brands' role uh, in uh, the outbreak of the listeriosis uh, uh, um, in uh, some of the factories there. Last one here briefly. Um, South African Reserve Bank Governor uh, speaking in a webinar over the last day or so and uh, suggesting that we are close to running out of space uh, for a further, I guess, interest rate cuts. But that's not the only tool that he has in the toolbox. Yes, I know you're big on quantum easing. Firstly, no, when I look... No, no, no. I, I think let's clarify this thing. I'm very big on injecting liquidity in a crisis into capital markets so that you at least uh, are able to bring to historic levels the cost at which the government borrows. That, that That's my view. I, I don't punt QE for the sake of, of punting QE. Yes, I, 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 I see where you're going with that. Okay, let's go clever wording. Good, you've got great English. But getting back to Reserve Bank, I fundamentally believe, I've always believed that interest rates are too high on a principal level. Okay. I've always... I've always believed that interest rates are too high, are too high, and I do think there's still room to grow. We're not, and from where we are, I think we still have room. I think we do still have room, um, and as an emerging market, I think South Africa tradition has always had relatively high interest rates, and it, it just is what it is. But I do think there's room to grow to even drop them further, to drop them further. Yeah. I do think there's room to drop them further. I, I, I fundamentally believe that do drop, drop them further. In addition to other uh, uh, monetary policy interventions, I don't believe in doing one without the other. Cause I just feel that it's, it doesn't have the correct impact. And for me, besides injecting liquidity in the market, in theory, as much as you want to say, I wouldn't to inject um, liquidity into the market. For me, a big, 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 big role play in all of this is the participation of the banks and what they will do with additional liquidity. We cannot be in a situation where the Reserve Bank is doing something on a macro level, but on an individual micro level that me and you are experiencing in from the financial system itself, we're not seeing the additional liquidity in the market. Mm-hmm. So Just, for me, it's a partnership, it's a stakeholder engagement. It's one, it one is one plus one. It yeah. really, that's for me how I look at it. Personally. One day we must have the debate about uh, the independence of the bank because I think, you know, what you're suggesting there, which is a coordinated set of policy actions, some people might misinterpret as, uh, you know, encroaching on the independent functions of uh, an independent central bank. But then what is the purpose of the central bank if it's yeah. not? <laughs> but then let's, let's, no, 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 but let's get into it. But no, 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 no. I'm saying, I'm saying on another day. I'm certainly partial to that argument, and I make a similar argument that, you know, the central bank can't just exist for ex- existence sake, right? It has to be there uh, not only as a stabilization tool, but also a tool uh, to inject much-needed demand and liquidity into our economy. And maybe that's uh, where we pick up our next conversation next week. Cool, cool. Snesipo Maninjwa is an independent market commentator, analyst and CA, helping us there to wrap up our top business stories of the day.